0: Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, special edition to the show today. We welcome in the national recruiting editor for 24/7 Sports, Brandon Huffman, fresh off the trail. He went to San Antonio, and then he got to go to just the worst place in the world, Honolulu, Hawaii. Let's all just feel really bad for him as he uh, treks through the treacherous waters of Honolulu. Brandon, thanks for coming on the show, man. Um, you saw a lot of high school football, uh, a lot of seven-on-seven, seven, a lot of trench football the last couple weeks. Um, mm-hmm. What was kind of your your take from an Oregon perspective at the All-American Bowl in San Antonio, most recently the Poly Bowl in Hawaii? Just kind of what was overarching themes that you thought from, from all those Oregon prospects? Because there was a bunch between the two mm-hmm. tournaments, between the two games.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, you know, weather sucks in Oregon, and it doesn't it in Hawaii because the weather caused delays for the early enrollees at Oregon. They didn't get into Waikiki or into Honolulu until like late Wednesday night. They're supposed to be yeah. there on Sunday. So as a result of that, you ended up having four guys that didn't end up coming, King, uh, Kingston Lopa, Aiden Breeland, um, Dylan Gresham, and one other player whose name I'm it's escaping me. Uh Braden Platt, Avian Sims yeah. did come. Dylan Williams and Tyler uh uh Kidsman were both there the whole week because they didn't early enroll. Uh but thankfully, you know, we had oh, Dakota Fields is the other one who, yeah. who wasn't able to make it. But you had the All-American Bowl before that, where you had you know Platt and Sims were there the entire week. You had Gatlin Bear, who's still a target. Um, you know, there was a prominent presence with Oregon in San Antonio, and there was a prominent presence even without. Uh, the guys showing up in Honolulu, they still – even with only four guys coming, they still had, I think, the second most of all the Power 5 schools um, or third most after BYU and Tennessee, but they went from having potentially nine guys there to four guys there. Um, Still, you know, Dylan Williams had himself a great week, and and I think he at times gets forgotten um, by a lot of people – because it, which is ironic, you know, Long Beach Poly, you would not think guys they're there, but he didn't maybe have the national profile like a, a guy like a Braden Platt did. Wasn't the number one player in the state like Platt or Sims. Uh, but Dylan had a had a great week in Hawaii, and it was kind of reminiscent of Javon Holland. Really? Um, when you know Javon Holland came to Honolulu in 2018. He didn't get invited to any of the, you know, the big two all-star games and then had a phenomenal week in Hawaii and, you know, kind of show that we're a guy, he's a guy. And I, I think that that's going to translate for him to the next level.
0: You touched on Dylan. I was going to ask you to just kind of give us your assessment there. Cause he did have that big week in the poly Bowl. Another guy that maybe had a really good week, or I probably should say just two weeks is Avian Sims. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your impressions there? Another guy on the defensive side of the football for Dan Lanning, shocking. Another defensive lineman for Dan Lanning, shocking. But this is a guy that uh, from the ratings standpoint, he saw a really big jump. Um yeah. from from a ratings perspective. So obviously he performed well. What, what did you see during those two scenarios, uh those two weeks of, of football that you know that stood out to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, when, when you're in, in Oklahoma, it's a lot like being in, say, Oregon or Washington compared right. to the California. Like you're going to always get overshadowed by the talent in Texas. So the number one player in Oklahoma, it's like Brayden Platt, the number one player in Washington. Well, you're not going to be looked at like the number one player in Texas or in California. So you go to an event like that and you you just dominate. And I think, you know, he showed the athleticism. They would line him up on the edge. They would line him up inside. You know, I saw him in seven on seven last spring playing tight end, playing linebacker. So, That athleticism at the size he is, he measured really well. Uh, You know, the verified measurements coming out of San Antonio were were huge for him. And, you know, the athleticism to back it up. And, you know, we're we're in a time now where Elijah Russian didn't end up getting to go to All-American Bowl, where guys will enroll early and they don't get to perform in the All-Star Games. And then you have other guys that, for whatever reason, will tap out of a game. And you know Zadavian with the two games. I mean, him and Brandon Platt were determined to get to Hawaii. And you know, where other guys maybe aren't making that big of a push to go. It's one thing to go to Hawaii. It's one thing to go to San Antonio. It's one thing to perform there. And I think he really acquitted himself nicely at both events. But I think it was just seeing that the the actual size and that positional versatility is what really caught everybody's attention.
0: Um, I watch him and think Brand that's Brandon Dorless. like. Very similar body type, very you know, can play inside and outside. Um, really excited to see him when he gets to Eugene and we start seeing him play at the collegiate level. Um, we didn't get you on during the December signing period. Um, so maybe some thoughts on just Oregon's class. It's the best class in school history, uh, it's currently the fifth best class in the country. That could change with the Bears addition down the road. If he does decide to go to Oregon, we'll touch on that later. But um, another five star in Elijah rushing um, a lot of defensive linemen yet again for Dan Lanning. Uh, what, what's just maybe your overarching thoughts on the 2024 version of Oregon's football recruiting class?
1: I mean, obviously I, I think it's in a trending in a direction where Oregon fans have to be giddy that, you know, they're, recruiting like a blue blood and you know to me the biggest kind of deficit that the pac-12 schools have had historically have been recruiting defensive linemen and that's largely because the west just does not produce the the depth of defensive linemen like the south does so when you don't have a lot of defensive linemen to choose from you you have to recruit nationally, but you're going up against the big boys. Well, when you do have a year like this year, where you've got, you know, an Elijah Rushing and Aiden Breland, a Jericho Johnson to clean house on all three of them, to keep them away from, you know, the three schools that are going to the Big Ten with you out of the Pac Twelve, and to address the the typical lack of depth that the West has in defensive linemen to be able to go get all of those and to prepare yourself for that move to the Big Ten. You know, I remember two years ago when Dan Lane got hired. Everybody said I was going to bring an SEC approach right. to recruiting, and I think that was evident in the front seven recruiting he's done over the last two classes. And it's not only strengthening Oregon, it's it's weakening USC and UCLA and Washington and then the other schools that have traditionally feasted on the West Coast kids who had no problem leaving the region – So if he's able to address those needs, you know, that's a a great sign for Oregon moving forward. Then you throw in, you know, their willingness to go into the portal, not bring a ton of guys in, but go quality over quantity. You know, you put that combination together. If you look at the four teams that were in the playoffs this year in the semifinals, you know, yeah, Michael Penix was a transfer. Uh, Technically, Quinn Ewers was a transfer. But the majority of that Texas team, the majority of that Washington team, that Michigan and Alabama team were homegrown, home-developed guys with the occasional dap of portal guys. That, to me, is the recipe to win. Ohio State adds a Caleb Downs. They add a a Will Howard. They add a Julian Sane. But where their strength is coming in 2024 is how many of those players are returning to run it back for another year. For attention. Exactly. So that's the key. And I think with Oregon, you know, being able to pick and choose who they want out of the portal, but dominate recruiting regionally and then be featured among the top five nationally, that portends for good things down the line.
0: I think I've asked you this question before, but it was a while ago. I think it was probably before it was under Mario, but even then it was a different recruiting is different than what it was three years ago. Um, Is this a sustainable expectation for Oregon football to consistently be in the top 10 because they don't have the recruiting base, but finding talent and getting talent to come visit is as easy as it's ever been flight. You know, there more flights are flying into Eugene airfares. is is getting cheaper. Uh, recruits are more open to the idea of traveling well and, you know, earlier in their, in their recruiting process. Um, connecting with recruits, whether it be FaceTime or other technology, makes it easier to kind of break up that distance is a factor thing. Um, Is is it fair to expect like top 10 classes or is this still going to be the anomaly and the norm is going to be somewhere higher than top 10?
1: No, it's 100% fair to expect it. And I think that you know, this is my. I'm wrapping up my 21st recruiting class. When you know signing day, the, the traditional signing day happened on February 7th. That's the 21st class. When I first started, you know, Oregon was coming off a year where they had played in the Fiesta Bowl two years before. They had had you know a little bit of success, but it was really kind of that late 2000s, early aughts that Oregon started to kick it up a notch. Yeah. But when I first started, USC, their first the first year I did it, they won the national championship. The next year, they won the national championship. The third year. They played for a national championship. Then they went to a couple more Rose Bowls. So those first seven, eight years that I'm doing this job, SC dominant. Every kid would say, oh, you know, USC wants to use me like Reggie Bush. USC sees me as, you know, number 55, the next Ray Malaga. 2023, these kids – are 24, these kids have grown up saying, my favorite player was DeAnthony Thomas. Yeah, it's Marcus totally Mariota. <laughs> Every kid in Hawaii will say Marcus Mariota – is their guy not Tua? It was Marcus Mariota. It, you know, every kid in Southern California. It was DeAnthony Thomas. You know, you, you talk to defensive linemen, It's DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead. So the the kids that are coming through high school, they only remember. They, none of them remember the 2016 disastrous season. That was a blip on the radar. They remember them playing for a national championship in, in 2014. They remember, you know, even older guys they, and their coaches and trainers, they remember them, you know, playing for a national championship in 2010. I did an, uh, a Zoom the other night with Efo uh, ekpre alone. You know, yeah. this is a guy that he's coaching a prominent 7-on-7 team, and this is a guy that people watch play at Oregon. So it, it's fair to expect it because Oregon – kids today only know Oregon – as being a national program a perennial pac-12 champion they don't remember the usc teams of the early 2000s i mean this year's seniors were born in 2005 2006 you know so you, you look at where oregon has been able to sustain the success and recruit nationally they are a brand and i, I it's funny because you know I remember Georgia when Mark Rick was there and they had some great seasons, but they had seasons where they went seven and five. Well, now kids only know the Kirby Smart oh, era in Georgia. Yeah. You know, they don't realize that for a while, Auburn was, you know, Auburn won six games in a row against Alabama. They, they don't remember those things. They only remember what they remember recently. And Oregon falls into that conversation. And, and I see this a lot with Southern California kids because with USC, They've only seen, yeah, there was that one, speaking of 2016, the year they won the Rose Bowl. But it's been a lot of underachievement and a lot of, you know, lack of living up to what their expectations were. They don't remember the 2000s under Pete Carroll. They don't know Pete Carroll even coached at USC. Their trainers and coaches yeah. might have. right? You know, you, you have – that's what you have to, to keep in mind when you're talking about these recruits today is that they only know recent. And Oregon happens to be, you know, in the – at the big white table in that respect. So it's reasonable to not only expect it, but Dan Lanning will not have it any other way. This guy coached under Nick Saban and he coached under Kirby Smart, two of the best recruiters that college football has ever seen. He is not going to go the Chip Kelly route and recruiting something that I guess you have to do. He's going to go the Saban and Smart route of roster building and roster management. So yeah, not only is is it fair to expect that, but I think it's safe to assume That's how it's going to be as long as Dan Lanning is in Eugene.
0: Um, Back to the class in in hand. There's a lot of like, there's 14 guys that are in the top two, four, seven. I mean, that's just an absurd number from an Oregon perspective. And I know they've recruited well lately, but it's something for me that I've covered this team for 14 years. I won't get used to that saying that 14 guys in the top two, four, seven. Um, Let's go to, someone below that is there or maybe someone included in it that could count too but is there a guy that you just like that maybe is being overlooked by either the fan base or you know what have you
1: yeah you know i I would say and part of it's self-inflicted you know because injuries have kind of delayed him the last years but i mean i was a big aj pugliano fan at the beginning of his high school career i mean he was an initial top 100 member and then injuries just never you know he couldn't get over him if he could get healthy he is a well-rounded, all-around inline tight end, but a guy who can catch the ball and can run routes. So, and again, he committed so long ago that you essentially become out of sight, out of mind. You know, and that's the thing. I we we joke about this every year, but like when you get five five stars, let's say, but those guys commit in January of their junior year, you bemoan the two guys you lost down the stretch instead of celebrating the fact you got five five stars. But they've already been on campus for a couple of weeks. So, it's easy to forget about it. And I think when guys commit earlier and earlier, you only remember the guys that you lost out on or gained at the end. You forget kind of the early commits. And I think age is a guy that, when healthy, can be really good. Another guy that I like a lot, you know, he maybe never got quite over that 90 threshold, but Devin Brooks. I I was just going to bring
0: him up. Yeah,
1: I'm a big Devin Brooks guy. You know, I think what hurt him the most is that he is, his body is geared to play inside he was having to play tackle but he really is an inside guy and those guys just aren't you know i'm saying this to a school that just produced the remington award winner <laughs> but more often than not interior linemen aren't treated as fairly or unfairly they're not treated as glowingly as tackles are right. so again you, you know you look at and because oregon off of the line recruiting has been so good these last few years it's easy to overlook an interior lineman who's a three-star and who's an in-state kid, you know, because Oregon's used to recruiting the Florida's, the Georgia's, the Texas, the California's. So an in-state kid, it's funny. It's one of those rare States where, especially when you look at some of the other States out West where an in-state kid is not like we have to get him. We absolutely have to get him. And Oh my gosh, how can you never look out for it? Almost feels like with Oregon, the in-state kids kind of maybe aren't as appreciated as much. and, and you know, that's another conversation we could have for another day. But sometimes they're not as sexy as, you know, the out-of-state players. So I think Devin kind of falls into that category.
0: Yeah, I was happy you mentioned him because uh, at the Fiesta Bowl when it was media day, I made a, a point to go to every position coach and, and ask them about the signees that they got and kind of their positions looking forward to next season. And Aleek Terry, Oregon's offensive line coach, um raved about Devin Brooks and Fox Crater said both guys could he said Crater could play all five positions when when he gets to Oregon they'll figure out where he fits down the road but Devin Brooks he he said is an absolute road grader and he was super excited about that one and he was like yeah, don't worry about the stars like that this guy's going to be a player in yeah he, and, he really liked let him let at, me, it, at 89
1: means we think he's going to be a hell of a college player Right. It just means that the positional value on a center in the NFL and in college isn't as great. You know, so I I love when people treat 89s as if they can't play football or a high three. Those <laughs> guys are still damn good football players. They're just not as sexy, you know. Right. And Alabama signed, you know, three, three, or four, three stars a year. You know, not every school is going to get 25, and especially in a day and age where guys don't want to have to compete at the position you know it's rare if you can get four or five stars across the board not i say that as oregon just signed you know a hundred star defensive lineman. it's only a kick a jump a block it's only a serve it's only a tackle a run it's only for the fans After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas.
0: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Uh, I, I have to ask, what's the latest with Gaten Bear? Um, Michigan, Oregon—is it—is it just still those two, or could Jim Harbaugh's potential departure mix things up here, or is it just Oregon's to lose there? That no, point? I
1: mean it, it's absolutely Michigan is still. I would I would say right now Michigan is the leader, yeah. but I and I maintain this even when he committed to Boise State back in you know August. Where Gavin Bo- Gatlin Bear signs and where he enrolls in 2026 does not necessarily mean it's going to be the same place. I thought that with Boise State. I thought if he went to Michigan or Oregon in August, they could still end up at Boise State. You know, so much is changing, so much is fluid in college football. Um, you know, Jim Harbaugh could be gone in two weeks. I would be stunned if Jim Harbaugh was there in two years. Yeah. But if he re-signs and decides to stay there for life, then you know, does that have a bearing on Gatlin Bear, but you're still preparing for a guy that won't show up in, until 2026. That said, Junior Adams has stayed on him. And, you know, he was ironic because he was in Oregon the weekend that Andy Avalos got fired, which, you know, kind of showed that he was already not 100% sure about Boise State. And it wasn't like him visiting was got Avalos fired. It was more he was already having some doubts. So I think Oregon and Michigan are – locked in a battle I'd still tend to lean slightly Michigan on this one but because track is not going to be a factor for him in college that's that ace in the hole that Oregon have with like a Braden Platt it doesn't necessarily carry the weight with Junior at or with Gatlin Bear what it does is Dan Landing saying he's not leaving he's staying yeah. Michigan can't make that same claim until we know what happens with Jim Harbaugh and there's still two weeks before Gatlin Bear signs and there's still two years before he enrolls
0: yeah Got to ask you a big picture question. Um, Signing day in the portal. uh, I know from an Oregon perspective and the fan base perspective here, they're just absolutely relishing and seeing Washington crumble. Um, But that sucks. Like that's not how this should work. You make the national championship game. You're a couple plays away from having a chance to win it all. And then two weeks later, uh, your roster is gutted. Your commit list is gutted. Uh, and there's no one available to to go out and and replace those guys from the portal because it's pretty much picked over by now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many dynamics here. How do we? F- is there a way to fix this? Um, I, I don't. I, and I think one thing that people don't understand is like, well, push signing day here or push portal back or whatnot. Like a lot of this is is not going to happen from a movement standpoint, in my opinion, because. Schools want to be able to enroll guys. And- well,
1: and that's the key right there is that even if you push signing day up, guys enroll now with this temporary restraining order limiting, you know, preventing the limit on how many times you can transfer. Guys don't care. They'll enroll, be on campus for a week or two, and then decide to go into the portal. It doesn't affect them anymore. Now you have free random transfers as many times as you want. So I don't think even that has an impact anymore. Moving signing day, we've seen a number of, multi-time transfers now we're seeing guys like a Julian saying leave Alabama to go to Ohio State and if it doesn't work out Ohio State to get transfer again and still be able to play immediately so I think big picture wise what I mean obviously Nick say retirement is the is
0: closer Different. to Roy Williams
1: than Coach K we knew Coach K was going to retire a year ahead of time there was already a succession plan in place but Roy Williams retires after the season all right carolina was you know playing for the national championships winning them going to final four sorry if it's too soon oregon basketball fans uh but the, the point being that saban had the ripple effect roy williams still didn't because they went internal they hired hubert davis where the Sabin effect i mean there's five schools that were affected by him leaving alabama Washington, Arizona, and then Buffalo and actually six because Buffalo and South Alabama lose their head coach. San Jose State loses their head coach. So six schools all affected by, you know, January. One man's decision. By one man's decision. And four of those, or or three of those are power five schools that finished the top 10 uh, or top 15 this year. And then, you know, a couple of pretty solid mountain or a, a group of five schools that went to bowl games. But, you know, I remember two years ago when Brian Kelly left right after Thanksgiving and Lincoln Riley left and USC had fired Clay Helton in the mid-September. The feeling was if you fired your coach early, you could salvage a recruiting class. Well, you still can't take into account if coaches leave in January and the ripple effect that has. So the entire calendar is, is screwed up and you're still held hostage by coaches. I mean, the reality is too with the NFL, with there being some of these head coaches in college that have, the chops to coach in the NFL, those jobs aren't going to open up until January anyway. So you're still going to have the Jim Harbaugh type effect, you know, Pete Carroll retiring. Do they want to go to college again? So, I mean, I just don't think that there is a way to answer that question big picture wise, right? Because people could say NIL has ruined recruiting. I don't believe that's the case. I think it's made it more fun. Yeah. People can say the transfer portal has ruined recruiting. I don't think that's the case either. I think it's made I think you know, it's awesome. It's, I think it's awesome. And I mean, for you and I who cover college football and recruiting for a living, it's fabulous content. Yes. That's real. But the, the thing that I think has really, and I don't think it's a negative at all. I, if you don't like a school, you don't want to beat the school, then you'll be able to transfer as many times as you want. What doesn't get in it, people say it's the portal. To me, the biggest impact has been the erosion of the one year sit out. because when you face the reality of losing a year of playing you were more likely to stay in place now you're immediately eligible remember we had those years where guys would go to the portal and there would be a dead grandma that was 150 miles away that might get you the exception even though you were still far away from them now you know tom mars is making a living off that when they got rid of the sit-out rule for everybody that is what changed everything so it wasn't the portal it was the ncaa eradicating that rule has what's made roster management so much different and so much more of a pain for college coaches. It's great for us, but it's pain for a college coach. But you know what coaches, if you're going to get paid 10 to $12 million and you're going to have these ridiculous budgets, suck it up, buttercup, deal with it.
0: I was just going to say, is that the, the trickle down effect? Is that leading to the expansion of staff sizes? You're, 100%. Just, you're just hiring more guys to be able to handle the recruiting and the roster management so that the, The 12 coaches on the field plus the GAs can focus strictly there.
1: On football. I mean, you're seeing schools now more and more adding general managers. And it's a a call to arms. You know, we're no longer worried about the best facilities. We're no longer worried about, you know, the best study hall rooms. We need NIL money and we need somebody to manage the NIL, manage the collective so that, you know, Joe defensive coordinator can just worry about the game plan for Saturday. Not about the 20 recruits that are coming to the game. It's winning the game on Saturday. Let my support staff worry about those recruits coming. I mean, I remember you and I have both been in this business long enough to remember when the running backs coach was the recruiting coordinator. He handled all the recruiting. The DFO, Director of Football Ops, handled everything. Now you've got 10 to 12 recruiting staffers at the bigger schools. And now even G5 schools are adding directors of player personnel. FCS schools are adding DPPs general managers are being added in g5 school so you're seeing the support staffs grow because you want this separation of football administration and football coaching yep. and the football coaches are the ones that are doing the coaching yeah they're the ones going on the road but i think you're going to eventually see in the next two to three years if not sooner if you have a coordinator who's a damn good coordinator, but this does not connect with recruits in an in-home visit or out of school, you're gonna keep him home and you're gonna send your 25-year-old recruiting as personnel guy on the road because he's got you know seven Red Bulls and eight Celsiuses and a couple zins, and he's gonna hit 20 schools in one day.
0: Yeah, you know, the defense coordinator is gonna go hit two. We're we're seeing that already with Oregon right now. Mm-hmm. Um, when when they have assistant coaches who leave for another job elsewhere and Sometimes they even just pull off assistant coaches to give them a break. And we've seen oh, yeah. Pauline, the, Hey, you're, you're
1: going to be sick coach. You're, you're not going to travel. You're <laughs> going to need to have that. Remember that back surgery you were talking about? You might want to go ahead and get that. I don't need it. Okay. Yeah. But we're going to still tell the NCAA you're going to get it because we need you here and we need the young guy on the road. And I always, you know, people always freak out. Well, why is he on the road? Well, it just means another coach came off, but eventually there's going to become a tipping point, if you will, where, There's not even going to need to be dancing around that. It's just going to be a straight up, hey, we're letting our personnel and our staffers go on the road. That's what their job is to recruit. You just stay back and you start developing a spring uh, football game plan.
0: Uh, He is Brandon Huffman. Follow him on 24-7 Sports. Follow him on X. I can't believe I just said that. Twitter. Uh,
1: (laughs) It will always be Twitter.
0: Yes, it will always be Twitter. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, Brandon. Really appreciate your time. Uh, look forward to talking to you soon down the road. Thanks for having me on, that.